ABC Listen. Podcasts, radio, news, music and more. Gotta get the money, gotta get the bags, money, gotta get the bags. High heels, high heels, up the stairs. I'm gonna get it, get it, get it, get it, get it. Hang on. Oh, hello. Hello. How are you? I'm okay. I'm okay. Can't walk properly, but I'm okay. <laughs> I said, how's your week been? And you said, I've torn my meniscus. Meniscus, I think. Well, likely torn. You don't know unless you've had Sounds like ouch. an MRI or something. But a physio told me that that's the likely whatever it is. So I'm wearing some sort of it's brace. Like a, it's she like said, a moon boot for your knee. Yeah, moon, knee moon boot. And, and I said what she said, you're going to have to wear a brace for six to eight weeks. I'm like, oh, are you kidding me? Um... Uh, you know, I've got fashion to wear. <laughs> this is killing me. Um, You're also a performer. That's right. So, so I'm taking it off while I'm doing the show and just taping it up really strongly. Oh, God. Trying to be careful while I'm walking up and down the 74 flights of stairs at the Athenaeum Theatre, which I'm currently performing. So, you know, it's been a week. I've never done an injury before. I turned 50 and all of a sudden I've had a fall. How, can I dare, I dare I ask how did you fall? I don't know. I think I was so shocked, but I just slipped on the shiny floor oh. of the bathroom that's been recently done. Too so. buffed. Too buffed. <laughs> Unlike me. Um, yeah, so fun. Fun time. Poor thing. That's all right. That's all right. Well, yeah. I didn't notice as you walked in. There was no hobbling, so you're holding oh, it together good. very that's well. That's good. But, you know, like, and I'm sure everyone listening experiences this. You know when you sort of feel like you've finally got your shit together and things are kind of coming into place and, and there's there's a finally a sense of order when there's been just chaos everywhere, which I feel like my life has been for the last six months. And then I was like, oh, finally I've got just like a month where I can feel like I'm in control of everything and then <laughs> Something happens. It happens to everybody. It I'm totally sure. does. Always. And you're like and, and I think it's not even the injury or the thing that happens. It's just the 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 sadness that that little bit of peace and quiet or maybe, you know, an opportunity to kind of just feel calm for a bit has just been taken away from you. That's it. Less so an injury, but more so a sign of the times. I saw someone post a meme the other day where it's like, I've been saying things will be more chill next week for the last <laughs> five years. It's never happening. It never happens. It's never happening. We might as well just get used to it. Yeah. But it's hard, isn't it's it? It's hard. Because you always want that little, you know, time of reprieve. I just want to fill up myself for a bit and feel like <laughs> I've got my shit under control or my life is functioning like a normal person should. I, well, I think you're doing very well under the circumstances, <laughs> me Forhurst. Poor little lamb. Uh, how are you? How was your week? Oh, or should good. I say weekend? I, I did a little cheeky trip to Sydney because Jennifer Coolidge and Mike White, the icons, the centre of White Lotus... Yes. We're in the country to do a special talk at Vivid Sydney. And when they announced it, the morning they did, bleary-eyed, I opened my phone at 6am because that's what we all do, mm-hmm. saw the announcement, went onto the website and bought tickets straight away before I'd even woken up, realised it was a long weekend, oh. realised it was going to be incredibly expensive so to get to Sydney. $1,500 for flights. <laughs> yes. And you got tickets to a gig, and but you weren't alone. There was 8,000 other 8, people 8, there. 8,000 people Can at a talk. Can you believe that? At a talk. And the vibes were high. Like the ICC where it was being held, 
is a place it's that a convention center, so it's huge. But the the theater's quite good. It sounds quite good for a convention center, but it's just kind of like almost like this coliseum vibe. It just spreads up mm. in this half moon all the way up, and it, you almost couldn't see the horizon of people. It was so huge, and there were so many high end gays in the room. Oh yes, it was turbo <laughs> stereogamous, which is Johnny and Paul Mac, uh, life partners and also DJ partners were DJing, which I thought was just. Chef's kiss, yeah. perfect, warming up the crowd. There were people, men and women, dressed as J. Cool from the White Lotus. Of course. Um, and there was a lot of anticipation in the air at this very special talk. It looked like it was pretty much sold out, like front to back, wild. Unbelievable. And we have been talking about how wonderful it is to see a woman such as Jennifer finding her power at this age when she really felt like it wasn't going to happen for her. Yeah, and she referred to that a lot. I know that there's been some sharings of different people talking about this experience of seeing them and certain things that she said. She talked a lot, which I thought was really interesting, about having depression and anxiety. I think that like if you watch, because she's just cleaned up at the award shows of recent times, and you watch those speeches, and because she has such great comic timing, people are almost waiting for the punchline. Mm. But I think sometimes that dismisses the opportunity to actually really listen to what she's saying. Mm. And there was a number of moments during the talk where I was like, wow, she keeps on coming back to this. She's talking about not leaving the house for months at a time. Mm. She's talking about self-doubt. She's talking about anxiety. And it was very grounding to hear that from someone who's one of the most talked about women in the world, literally one of Time 100's People of the Year. And just hear her talk about how tough it was and that she, for a long time, felt like she was in the wilderness. Yeah. Um, But there was one particular moment that I think resonated with a lot of people and I've just seen it shared so many times. It's been reported the world over. It was the moment where she gave some great advice that I think that we can all truly appreciate. I think one of the best things to cure self-doubt is just to go to really bad stuff. I'm talking about plays you hear about that are terrible. Go to them. There's shows on television that are terrible. Watch them. No, because it just, it's like, because sometimes, you know, I went, I'll I'll tell you how I got this idea. Um, I was like, I was like in college and I just hated myself and I was so full of self-doubt. And I, anyway, I went to this, terrible production of Oliver. Um, and it was just literally like, Oliver, Oliver, I mean, everyone was bad in it, the whole show. I mean, it was just, and I, I like, I felt like the seas had parted. Like, I felt like I had a chance in this world. Bless her. It's so true, though. It's so true. And, and I think, yeah, I watch so much shit television. Maybe that's why I feel like I can give it a go as well. Never watch stuff from Academy Award winners, people who are at the top of their game. You're absolutely going to feel shit. Just know that there's plenty of other people doing it way worse than you are and you'll be fine. Absolutely. I think, I think we, we're always terrified to put ourselves out there. And, you know, what's the worst thing? You can be shit. But there's so much shit out there at 
it barely matters, yeah. does it? We worry so much. We do. That kind of keeping up with the Joneses, comparing yourself to others. Um, she went the other tack and I loved that. That was one of the biggest and greatest moments of the, the whole talk. There was some – Mike White was has a very nervous energy, as you know, if you've ever seen him do an interview, you would know that. Um, he gave a couple of gems, though, including – I think he suggested that he didn't think that there would be a third series and maybe within that suggesting that that's why he killed Jennifer Coolidge off because he honestly didn't think it was going to be renewed for another season. Because remember when it finished, she was like, I was telling him on the day, please change it, change the writing, change the ending. I'm waiting for the Australian version at the Colac Motoring. (laughs) Like, when are we going to have that? I mean, somebody murdered someone with a hygienic seal (laughs) from, from the toilet. (laughs) And the body is shunted out through that little, you know, the little breakfast zone. Like that's how they get the body out, where they put the breakfast through so they don't disturb the people inside. That hole in the wall. Yeah. And someone else is suffocated by a chenille bedspread. (laughs) Oh, we could do the theme music too with What's Up Skip in the background. (laughs) Make it Australian. I have a feeling Sydney might have the edge on Colac at this stage. Oh, I think they really on. turned it on for her over the weekend. That would be amazing. <laughs> so, so I've good. got ideas. I've already told you. I'm ready. I'm, I'm waiting my bite. You want me inside it. Make me dislike it. Knowing we should have never met. Girl, when you ride it, see you decide it. Don't say those words that you're that, of course, is the sounds of the weekend. Who well, if is... you say it properly, it's weekend. <laughs> weekend. Oh, dad what joke. Are you, what are you doing on the weekend? <laughs> the creator and star, co-creator of a new American drama series called The Idol. It's two episodes in. It's been created alongside Sam Levinson, who is the creator of Euphoria. Mm. And a lot of people are talking about this show, Miff. <laughs> Look, I'm really surprised I haven't started watching it because I knew of it. And I've also re- uh, read that it has the lowest rating on Rotten Tomatoes, I think, of any television series ever. I think it's at like two out of a hundred. Oh my god! Out of a hundred? <laughs> out of ten? Out of a hundred? Yeah, because you know Rotten Tomatoes, like you know, seventy-five, whatever. If it's a good one, or you know, fair to middling, ninety. Everyone loves it. Like you know, White Lotus would be at ninety-five. Um, this TV series is at two, I think. Absolutely it's, brutal. It's, Totally brutal. Um, and as far as I can gather, well deserved. Well, and it makes me want to watch it more. Oh, uh, see, all of this honest. all of this discussion has just had me keeping me away because you know I have an affliction where if I start I can't, I can't stop. stop. I have to finish the series. See, I've got no problems dropping it off if it's really bad. <laughs> I feel like I'm really gonna regret this. If you if you've had your head in the sand, the idea is that the story behind it is that there's an aspiring pop idol who's played by Lily Rose Depp. Yes, the daughter of Vanessa Paradis and Johnny Depp, who is an actor as well. And her complex relationship with a self-help guru and cult leader called Tedros. And that is who Abel, a.k.a. The Weeknd, plays in the series. Mm. Now, as I said, two episodes in. Episode two aired this week and towards the end. The reason we're talking about this, and I will say I haven't watched any of it except for the 10 minutes in episode two that everyone is talking about. A sex scene that is getting roundly roasted. Mm. I am exercising the power of delegation today, getting someone else to watch it, but also someone who knows his game in this area. 
He has a Masters of Public Health, a major in sexual health. In his career, he has hosted not one, not two, but three sex shows on radio, Mm. on CineFM, JoyFM and on Triple J. He was once our bang boy. We are so excited to welcome back a professional. James Finlay is here. Can I just say, given your resume, I mean, working on Bang On must have been an absolute career highlight. (laughs) It was. All I want to do is say thank you for stepping down to meet us where we're at. You know what you're talking about, though. Amazing. And you've been you've been watching the Idol. You watched the first episode. You've been talking about that a little bit on on your radio show because you're now the host of ABC Darwin Afternoons, and you. Lob in with your thoughts on various other ABC local radio shows around the country, but specifically, we want to talk about this sex scene. I, I don't want to completely list everything that happens, but there is just for people who haven't seen it, and like me, you don't want to watch The Idol ever because life is short and one day you will die. Mm. There is a blindfold placed on Lily Rose Depp um, in, in this sex scene. It's a sex scene that is very much about the the weekend who is this cult leader. Mm. I should say, sorry. Slash producer. Tedros, yes. Uh, directing Lily Rose. She's on the bed. He's in the corner of the room, almost kind of hiding behind a couch mm. and saying all kinds yeah. of things that sound like they were written by a 13-year-old boy who'd never had sex before. It does. It sounds Absolutely. like it's from a bad porno from the... Like, well, probably even current day. Yeah. It's just bad. It's bad dialogue. While she pleasures herself and then another cult member watches while sticking her fingers in her mouth in a quote-unquote sexy way. So there's this kind of voyeurism. It felt like the fantasy of a young boy. Mm. It felt like it was kind of schlocky and, and silly. And, yeah, as you say... The weekend's response, he's almost said it was meant to be this way. This was intentional, right? Wasn't didn't he kind of pull out the Paul Verhoeven quote? It's supposed to be kind of weird and creepy like basic instinct. And sadly, yeah. I think you failed. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, th- he has said that. But it's like you can still ma- portray awkward sex without making it cringe. Like I, I just I just feel like that they've really missed the mark, like so many things in this show, I might say. Please don't start it. Uh, the only reason why I watched the first episode <laughs> is because I knew that I might have to talk about it this week and I didn't want to, and I, and I thought that I should probably watch the first episode that I could take a steaming pile of um, rubbish on it. Um, it's just, I think, I think we want more from our, from our pleasure in our TV. Like, it's just... It's really disappointing, and yeah, you can you can portray awkward sex um, without making it cringe, and you can st- it can still be hot. But there is nothing hot about this at all. Like there's, it's, it's just zero chemistry. It's do, do either of them want to be there? And the dialogue is just bad. It's yeah. just, there are so many there are so many issues with this these scenes. Like, and it's it, everyone's talking about this scene, but there are many quote, sex scenes in this pro in this show that are just missing the mark. Did you watch Euphoria, just out of curiosity? Did you ever watch Euphoria, which is mm. what Sam um, Levinson's previous show was, who was one of the co-creators of The Idol? Yeah, I did, and there were definitely hot moments in that. Yeah, so mm. I'm like, what? what's the leap here? Maybe it's the different collaborators and, and the way that it's being written. There's some amazing cast members too. You've got Moses Sumney in mm. the show. You've got Troy Sivan. Amazing. Incredible. Moses. So it's like it's weird that it's fallen so flat. I thought that the Paul Verhoeven reference too was kind of interesting because, yes, Basic Instinct, but also 
remember, Showgirls. Oh, yes. Which was roundly smashed, definitely got a few raspberries the year that it was released. But the same. I, one of the great movies of all time. Well, this is the thing. It was almost became a cult classic in that people started enjoying how schlocky and terrible it was, some of those terrible sex scenes um, in, in Showgirls as well. And years later, it's become this thing that has been re-evaluated and looked at as, oh, maybe it was a classic in, in, in other ways. And I think that what Abel is trying to do in this conversation days after it's launched mm. is say, oh, no, 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 it was intentional. But it's like, oh, babes, you don't get to decide how it's no. reappropriated. No, and that's sort you of... Don't get that, you don't get to have that re-edit, that re-evaluation moments later after it's aired. And anything that is considered incredibly schlocky and camp is always considered that in hindsight. You don't get to decide and it's decided by others. Yes. And the enjoyment comes from the fact that it is a layer of things that, that you couldn't possibly put together in a meeting with any sense that this is going to be bad, you know. like and, and so you can't turn around and then say, nah, nah, we were just trying to make it like, we we're trying to replicate that. That's not I just don't believe that at all. Even Paul Verhoeven himself said that he, you know, he was quite happy about the unexpected cult status of, of a film like Showgirls, but he said maybe this kind of cult ritualistic popularity isn't what I intended, mm. but it's like having a resurrection after the crucifixion. Two episodes in, The weekend is hoping to resurrect the idol, but people aren't watching it and this is an absolute stinker of a sex scene. But look, if you take the words of Jennifer Coolidge, watch as much bad stuff as you can. (laughs) I am ready. I think I'm in. I don't know why. Oh, you're going to watch it, aren't you? I will watch it and I will enjoy it all and I will love it. That's the problem. I probably will enjoy it because it is so bad. James Bangboy Findlay. What's a hot sex scene that you've seen on television oh. that you'd rate? I'm totally putting you on a spot now. Mm. Are we talking euphoria? Oh. Is that where it's hit it? Or is there something else that is, pops into your mind as something that's gotten the juices flowing, for lack of a better word? Look, uh, hand me a peach and call me by your name. <laughs> oh, my God, yes. Oh, yes. Iconic. Iconic. I'm, I'm, just, really, Iconic I'm just really glad you said that. I was going... <laughs> Oh, maybe he'll choose something from um, that great that great television series, Sex Life, which has come oh, back for a second gosh, series. <laughs> which can I, I just say? Watching it. The only time that I to. ever watched just a few minutes of a uh, a TV series was that one when we needed to talk about that specific scene where there was a very large oh, member that entered uh, the the show, and I was not going to watch it because it obviously got roundly slammed as well, but I did just fast forward to that moment. So um, in closing, I'm an absolute perv. I'm a perv. I just fast forward to the sex scenes. James, where can we listen to you when we're not hearing you bang on about um, bad sex scenes? Oh, uh, every afternoon on ABC Radio Darwin from 1.30. Which you can hear anywhere on the ABC Listen app. That's right. Yeah, that's it. Hey, and babes. across the Northern Territory. Oh. I love it. I love it. Thanks so much for joining us today. So good to hear your wild and joyful laugh on Bang yeah, On once again. Love you, James. Love, love you too. Miss you both. I'll talk to you soon. Bye. Bye. Hey, real quick, you sent me something this week. Netflix are opening a restaurant. Why not, eh? <laughs> what? Why not? They've done everything else. <laughs> They've ruined television, the industry of television by creating prestige television and then making so much that no one knows what the fuck is going on anymore. Um, and now they're going to ruin food. <laughs> I, I, P.S. I love Netflix.
I would not know what to do without it. Yes. I would not know, but there's there's some glaring problems with the model and the structures that they've set up that was apparently supposed to somehow topple previous structures. Um, mm. We all know that. Yeah. Anyway, they're creating a pop-up restaurant in LA that looks amazing. It's happening June 30th. It'll open up. And what it's doing is tying in certain chefs that are involved in certain Netflix, very famous Netflix television shows like Chef's Table, Is It Cake, Iron Chef. Is It Cake? Yeah, I know. Yes. I'm not going to that pop-up. <laughs> no. Not at all. I'm, I'm not interested in that no, one because I just want to eat. If I've got to go to a restaurant, I want to eat. I don't... <laughs> I don't want to know is it cake or not. I just want to know it's food. Um, anyway, uh, yeah, so there's quite a few. Uh, Australia's own Curtis Stone will be involved. He'll be doing a pop-up um, and a whole bunch of other chefs who you would know if you watch these shows probably don't need to read out all their names. Um, very, very familiar. But, yeah, it, it could be a good one actually. I actually quite like the idea because it would be a moment where you could go and you could look up a calendar and go, right, I'm going to go and experience the food of somebody that I never thought I would have the chance to experience if unless you could trick. I guess it's good for people in LA, not us. <laughs> yeah. You know what I reckon? What? I reckon you're going to walk in, mm. you're going to look at the menu for an hour, mm. you're not going to be able to make a decision, and then you're going to go home hungry, which is exactly <laughs> what happens every time you open up Netflix. Can I watch this? Nah. I'm just trying to, I'm trying to work, wonder what they would do. It's so true. Oh, you just sit there for ages, you bicker with your partner. Netflix, giving people too many decisions to make every day, now coming to a restaurant near you. If they did an Australian one, who would be on it? Like, I'm trying to think, like... Neil Perry? Neil Perry. Who I call Stephen Seagal for his beautiful ponytail. Oh, my God, yes. Um... You know, we Gabrielle Gatte. Gabrielle Gatte. We have to go a few heritage. Gabrielle Gatte doing a pop-up on Netflix. Huey. Huey. <laughs> I don't know if Huey was Australia-wide in a, in Victoria. Um, Huey had a cooking show here for a long time. Travis Huey wasn't nationwide. Yeah, I know. I know. He was a uh, he 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 was he used a lot of canned stuff, which I appreciated because he was he was representing a, res, uh, a a supermarket chain at the time. Ready, steady, cook. <laughs> Stop cooking, everybody. I'd, I would go to that. Sorry, let's just start up a Ready, Steady, Cook pop-up. I want to host that show. Bring it back. Isn't Ready, Steady, Cook kind of like the same thing as when you go around with a supermarket trolley and just grab everything? Oh, it's yeah, like a that big, was another one. There was one guy rush. who used to go and hassle people in the supermarket going, what have you got in your trolley? And then he'd go home and cook for them and they'd just look at him and go, what are you doing here? Why aren't we producing some of these ideas? Exactly. Seriously, it's gold going to waste. Exactly. Well, I've just put off Netflix, so... <laughs> Clearly they're not coming to me. No commissioning from Netflix. <laughs> you also sent me another beautiful link this week. Miriam Margolis is the iconic cover woman on British Vogue for Pride. Oh, British Vogue. And she's wearing a gorgeous fascinator. She is wearing a gorgeous fascinator. She looks amazing. And then there's another fabulous shot whereby she is topless, um, possibly naked. If it's her, I, I assume she's probably completely naked. Oh, yeah. Because why not? Um, and she's got two cakes that look like nipples in cake, on cake stands <laughs> where her boobs are. Very artfully placed. It's fantastic. It's gorgeous. And they've released a beautiful little video that goes with it. It's so wonderful to see someone of her age... Just, it's like the Jennifer Coolidge thing. I feel like finally women over a certain age are being appreciated mm. for what they can bring to this life. Mm. And it's not about their, you know, their beauty is their personalities and their 
and and the fact that they've lived full lives. Mm. It's not that they are models and that's what I'm loving. This video is amazing. Here's a little taster of it. Oh, my God, it's so good. We'll put the whole thing in the show notes, but just feast your ears on this. You need to fart now. <laughs> there we go. First thing I'm going to take out might surprise you. It's an onion. I'd always carry an onion because I love them. Mmm. There's one other little round red thing. No, not that, darling. Radish is almost... <laughs> Well, I won't say a sexual delight, but it's close because it's a big bang in your mouth, if you know what I mean. Uh, these are my knickers. <laughs> a keen, of course. Spare pair, I'm not very good at holding on to my water. So when I want to pee, I have to get to a loo quickly. The gusset, most important. Look how clean it is. I like a strong gusset. <laughs> oh, we all like a strong gusset. Giving new levels and new meaning to what's in your bag. Oh, Can man. I just say that's the first time I've seen someone eat a raw onion since Tony Abbott. I know, and that would probably be the only thing those two would have in common. <laughs> the only thing. I don't know what would inspire anyone to eat a raw onion. I think you've lost your entire taste buds if you can eat those. <laughs> Need something to cut through. She's amazing, isn't she? She is amazing. I and love... She absolutely gives no fucks. And I, you don't see that very often. You, you hear it talked about, but she is living proof. I think also seeing that most recent series where she went around Australia and just speaking to so many people from all walks of life, and particularly these days where the conversations around background and diversity and where people come from and what they're into in their world... Sometimes it's so great these conversations happen, but people are often fearful to ask these people questions. Yeah. And Miriam always just asks direct questions. She's like, well, what do you mean by that? And why do you do this? And why do you do that? And just that directness, mm. always done with respect, but it's just straight to the core of like, well, tell me why this happens and why this interests you and what that's part of your religion is about. It's just like, it's so refreshing just to have someone who's just straight up. Mm. It is a CBF energy, but it comes from a place where... She is just wants to get to the core of someone and just knows how to do it um, with true class as mm. well. Mm. She's she's a knowledgeable and incredibly well spoken outsider in a lot of situations. And yeah, I think she uses that to a beautiful advantage. Yeah, and because she herself does not live a conventional life. No, and yet she presents as your you know your, your kind of your, your wild aunt. Uh, who comes to Christmas and makes everybody laugh. But yeah. there's so much more to her than just that. And I think that's what I adore about her. You know that I sometimes just watch her cameos because those cameos where you can get birthday messages for oh, people. Oh, cameos is in like the app cameos. Yeah, and, and people send out birthday. They're public. Like you can actually just watch Miriam giving out birthday messages to various people while she's sitting in a car. It's a really nice way to come back to a level. She's beautiful. I can imagine she'd give her all to cameos. Uh, no, she'd well, like... she kind of doesn't, ah! but she does. And people write in and say, can you, you know, can you swear at me? Can you fart? Can you? And she doesn't. <laughs> she does it all. Doesn't care. She goes, Here, here's, what, one, here's one for you. <laughs> what am I going to get mum for her birthday? Miriam Margolis farting on demand. It's what everyone's dreams are made and of. sometimes she gets up, so she goes, that's not all I can do. <laughs> and I just, I just think she's wonderful. She's the best. Mm. Cover star of British Vogue. Absolutely love that. A beautiful spread as well. There's hope for us yet, Zan. There is hope for us, isn't there? <laughs> like, I to be honest, I never thought that was a dream that I could have. 
And I will never get there, I know, because <laughs> Miriam is very different to us. Never say never. But, you know, like it, 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 you, can, you can be 81 and still be killing it. Go for it. How Harper's, old is she? 83? Uh, yeah, in her 80s. Yeah. Harper's Bazaar, Australian Vogue, Marie Claire. Mm. We're ready for you. Yeah, we're waiting. We're available. <laughs> Got a half day for a shoot. By then Give us I won't, a call. By then I won't be able to bend down to shave my legs for you, but <laughs> no one cares. She'll wear her moon knee as well. I will. Oh, my God. <laughs> so good. Yes. Another big story this week in the news, and a lot of people getting, uh, you know, their feathers ruffled about the idea that there's going to be a new Beatles song, what has been called the final record, as in song, not actual album, that the Beatles will put out, being made with the help of AI. Paul McCartney talked about this on Radio 4 a couple of days ago, and he hasn't named the song, but I think it's going to be from all reports a demo that John Lennon originally composed in 1978 mm. and it was on a cassette tape along with a few other songs that was labelled for Paul Yep. that Lennon made shortly before his death and they were given to Paul McCartney by Yoko Ono after John Lennon was very sadly shot and killed. So do you remember when Disney Plus put out the Beatles special, mm. oh God, I can't even remember what it was called, that Peter Jackson put on. It was, it was like extraordinary. an epic, you know, 15 hours or something of... Amazing. And we talked about it on here and the joy. We saw a sort of truncated version of it, um, which culminated in them performing on the rooftop yeah. of uh, their record record company at the time, yeah. Apple. And it was magnificent, absolutely magnificent. But, you know, so much had been changed in terms of updating the sound and and even the perspective on the relationship between the Beatles. We'd heard all these horror stories. And what we saw on film was very, very different to what we'd been told was going on in that room in that they were supposedly all very isolated and upset with one another. And we saw that that was not, in fact, the case. Yeah. And they the connected through their music, if anything. And the reason you could hear those conversations is because Peter Jackson designed this program with artificial intelligence, which pulled out them speaking. So in the original recording, there was just one mic set up in the room. Yeah. And of course, you would have got all the room sounds, people off mic. It would have been really muddy and messy. But he designed a program to go through hours and hours of footage mm. that then isolated those vocals, pulled them to the front and kind of like re basically remixed and remastered this documentary and did it with the music as well so that that sounded clearer too. So that's the same technology that's been used to basically clean up these demos. Mm. But when I was seeing people talk about it this week, because I think there's such a fear and a rightful fear as well about AI and music and creativity and art, mm. all of it, and this becoming this new normal and people not knowing the difference between what is real and what is artificial intelligence. Mm. People leapt to that same assumption that, oh, this is going to be a fake Beatles song. Mm. But it's actually just the kind of convenient AI which goes through a shit ton of footage and does something for you way quicker and way better than you ever could yourself. Yeah. It's computer technology. But that idea is like... It's worthy of a discussion, isn't it? Because there's been heaps of versions. I think I saw there was a whole bunch of different versions of like Padam Padam, Kylie mm. Minogue single as sounds like Britney Spears singing it, sounds like Dua Lipa singing it, mm. and it's AI renditions of this song, which in my mind I'm like, well, obviously they haven't done it. But at what point does a general public sort of go, 
oh, we're not, sh- we, we didn't do a leap of seeing that. Like yeah. they don't know the difference. No, they is, don't. Is that a real issue? Do you think that's a real fear and a, a valid fear? I think down the track it will be a real issue and a very valid fear. However, the AI that I have heard, like listening to that Drake and The Weeknd, speaking of The Weeknd again, yeah. listening to that AI that was created to sound like the two of them, yeah, it's got that feel but the lyrics were absolutely woeful. The lyrics are still so bad so, when you AI know, does it, and, yeah. and I think that's the difference here with this Beatles track is that the words already exist. So we're not mucking around necessarily with the words if we've already got his voice, John Lennon's voice, mm. singing them. So that's not an issue. And and to be honest, I do think there's so much music out there that is already working on the basis of like an AI-type approach, what's going to appeal, what's going to sound good. Like you listen to all of those Real estate shows, right? Those ones, you know, where people are like selling high-end real estate and every single song is like composed for that scene. It's like, got to get the money, got to get the bags, money, got to get the bags, high heels, high heels, up the stairs. I'm going to get it, get it, get it, get it, get it. And it's like, holy shit, you could have, I mean, they might as well get AI to do that. It's so bad. And that is what our soundtracks are consisting of on a lot of these television shows. Yeah. And, you know, it's like, uh, and good it's giving someone a job, but, gee, it's not good. It's not good at all. So I think I'd rather our energies being put into something like this where you can actually be a little bit creative and create some magic for people who might want to hear it rather than just making stuff that ticks boxes and... A churn. Yeah. A I mean, churn I, of music. I think, I think there's great... If we don't stop it now, our AI will become the 2030s Muzak, you know, like your, your barley um, acoustic. Nothing wrong with that myth. Yeah, I know there's nothing <laughs> wrong with it. But you know what I mean? Like it's just the next stage in people creating stuff that no one really listens to but it's just on in the background because it fills a void because we can't bear to be with our own minds. How do you stop it though? <laughs> I don't think I don't think you can stop it. That's the thing. It's about educating people what the difference is between true authorship, which yeah. is someone's written this song and a computer generated song. Yeah. And that line as we feed AI more and more information as we make it smarter yeah. through our own use of it, which is exactly what ChatGPT is by the way. Every time you use it, it's getting smarter. You're contributing to that. Uh, just a spoiler alert there, but all of it, like this is the way that AI gets smarter because it's designed by humans. It is a very human technology and it gets smarter from human use. Mm. So how do we, how do we, yeah, I don't know. Like I'm literally asking the question. I don't know either, but I do know that history has proven that human beings like voices and sounds that are, I mean, we like polished, but Hugely successful artists do not fit a box of perfection. Mm. Hugely successful artists have voices. Sometimes they're not even great singing voices Mm. or they're not great instrumentalists and yet they're still hugely successful. So there is something about the individuality of that person and the persona that they give out that people connect to. And I just don't think you can do that necessarily with something that is – so slick mm. at this point. Something to hold on to. Authenticity. Well, yeah, we like it. We like things to be a bit scrappy around the edges, I think. Yeah. Give me the makes, flaws, flaws and all. Yeah. It makes us all feel better about ourselves. Jennifer Coolidge. Yeah. It's, like, <laughs> it's the we can do it perspective too. It's We could all do this. I mean, we could all be Bob Dylan, couldn't we? 
He can't sing. He Sorry, certainly everyone. cannot. <laughs> Ever heard his Christmas album? <laughs> Truly terrible. Truly terrible. And hey. we've just had uh, hi to all our new Bob Dylan fans listening. <laughs> Before we get into our bang-ons for this week, I wanted to give you a few bang-backs because last week we celebrated our 250th episode with our very special guest, Virginia Trioli. If you've missed that, it is a treat for the years. Um, but we also asked you on the anniversary of 250 for some of your bangbacks because it's always a two-way street. Mm. Thanks to everyone who emailed and just wrote lovely things. I just wanted to share a few of them with you because, you know, it is a conversation always. Vix asks, have you listened to The People Who Knew Me? This is a radio drama on BBC Sounds. You can get it anywhere on, on podcast. It stars Rosamund Pike and Hugh Laurie, two great actors. And the premise is that... In the midst of the horror of 9-11, a woman decides to, quote-unquote, disappear, to leave behind the life she's unhappy with and start again on the West Coast with a new name, a new life, until dot, dot, dot. Vix has never listened to a radio drama before. They're happening, they're kind of coming back with podcasts, which is great. I've listened to a few of them. There was that great show, Homecoming, which was about kind of secret military exercise, Um, but there's heaps of them around these days. Anyway, Vic says the episodes are small chunks, perfect for commuting, really gets you thinking about what life could be like if you could just leave all the washing up, the deadlines, the unpaid bills behind and start again. And Vic's also left a beautiful note saying, thank you for keeping me sane these past five years through breast cancer and the pandemic. You're the bomb. You're the bomb, Vix. Thank you, Vix. I'm going to give that a try, actually. Sounds good, doesn't it? I've not done... Uh, any of that kind of podcasting, so I, I'm I'm open to it now that I'm in my podcast era. Also, also the rumbling vocals of Hugh Laurie bring that on mm. in my ears. Absolutely. Emma wanted to bang back about Nothing Compares, which was a documentary about Sinead O'Connor. We've talked about Sinead on Bang On before. This played at some film festivals last year. Yeah, it's on SBS On Demand now, which <gasps> is fantastic. Know. Either did I? So thank you, Emma. That's awesome. Thank you. And apparently, it's a very very powerful documentary and yeah. shows how she was incredibly wronged especially at that time when uh, she cut up the picture of the Pope. On Saturday Night Live. Yep. And then, of course, everything that happened after that. Yes, nothing compares. Definitely watching that on SBS. Thank you, Emma. Erin also asked about another podcast. Have you heard the Sounds Like a Cult podcast? Excuse me, please. That is right in my (laughs) wheelhouse. Um, But it's actually different to what you think. She said the gals did an episode on Taylor Swift and it was actually quite full on. An interesting and entertaining romp in fan culture, which we've been talking about a bit too. So Sounds Like a Cult is the podcast. And a final little message that just came through this morning from Nuala. Can you guys do a segment on great autocorrects? My name always gets autocorrected to Mucker. And now I'm called Mucka by a good majority of my friends. Vale, Mucka, it's been real. Yay. <laughs> if you have any great autocorrects of your name or anything else, we would love to hear them. The bang Absolutely. on email. Because I said last week, mine, is, get, mine is mud. Myth is mud. <laughs> as soon as you, it's, oh, great. Hey, mud. Yeah. I'm just Dan all the time. Hey, Dan. No, shit. Zan. Bang on dot podcast at your.abc.net.au. It's in the show notes as well, that email address. And yeah, I'll always be checking that bang box. Thank you for all of your messages. What are you banging on about this week? I am banging on about Mark Fennell's new documentary. I seem to check in with Mark Fennell's things every time he does something. He's a very busy boy. He's a very busy boy, but also he makes great stuff. And yes. This is The Kingdom, and it is based on his experience growing up uh, as a, a young person 
attending a Pentecostal church and that Pentecostal church had various figures who became uh, the Hillsong Church. And also it's about, I guess, how these Pentecostal religions gain the followers, what happens to people when they are in it and how difficult it is for a lot of people who experience quite horrific things while they're within it. And what I love about this, watching watching Mark do his work, is is that it is an investigation into Hillsong, but at the same time he, he actually very sensitively put himself in it. But it's not in the, oh, this is my story and, and I'm going to bust this myth and I'm going to do, th- do this and that. And what it actually brings is a real sense of empathy towards other people who have been in it or are still in it. So mm. there's a real... It's not judgment. It's not sensationalism. It's it's a really interesting conversation amongst people who share a similar experience. And so, yeah, it's not like a 60 minutes, let's break this down, you know. And, it, yeah, it's, it's, it's a very different experience. And I just think he's so sensitive in that, that respect. It makes for really, really beautiful viewing. Yeah, and he's very honest about his own experiences in this, but not in a... You know how there's so many documentaries now. I'm going to find out. Bup, bup, bup. You know, here's my problem. I'm going to find out. Like it doesn't even start like that, but you get these little hints as you come through that, that he's got this experience and then it's not till halfway through that he starts talking about really mm. that experience face-to-face with the camera. And, and yeah, it's lovely It's it's and very enlightening for someone like me who I can't get my head into look any kind of religion and that but that's me personally and I don't disrespect anyone else who does that's you know people are open to do whatever they, they want to do but I think when you you look at, at organizations like this that are that seem to be very profit driven uh, like Hillsong and and what has happened subsequently has proved that that was in fact exactly the case that's when I go this is this is a real issue mm. um you know prior preying on vulnerable people who want community, who want to feel a part of something, who want to feel loved. And, yeah, it's it, that, that I think, you know, it'll always make me uncomfortable, but it's really important to know that it's going on. There's a lot of focus on the Hillsong Church, Pentecostal religions, but particularly the Hillsong Church at the moment. I think there's like an FX documentary series happening yeah. in the States as well because Hillsong has spread in any huge way through America and other parts of the world, but it's all kind of crumbling a little bit in the last year or two and that's been reported quite widely. So it is good timing for a show like The Kingdom. It's on SBS On Demand, right? Yeah, SBS On Demand. And uh, I think oh, was, I think it was actually on this weekend, was it? Or it last was. Weekend? It, it went up on SBS and yeah. then it was like on the oh, – actually played on Sunday. So, yeah, SBS On Demand. Yeah. yeah. What are you banging on about? Well, I mentioned that I love cults and you know this because I always Mm. talk about cults. I banged on about a cult podcast a few weeks ago. And I think that, I don't know if I told you about this when it was announced, but I was so excited to see a new uh, fictional TV series, but based sort of on The Family, which was a cult that kicked around in the 70s and 80s in Victoria near Lake Eildon. This new series has just kicked off recently on Disney+. Plus. It's called The Clearing. It stars Teresa Palmer, Miranda Otto and Guy Pearce. And it is a, a sort of psychological thriller based on a book called The Clearing by author J.P. Pomer, who did in fact take inspiration from the family, um, that cult that was kicking around. So at the start of the series, you'll see a, this is a fiction, work of fiction, 
um, but it is borrowing from actual things that happened with this cult. And you might have heard about the family before. They were a, a group that were one of the few female-led cults in the world. There were children involved and they all had bleach blonde hair. Mm. Um, and that was kind of the the two sort of key points, I guess, that you could associate with it. But it's, yeah, it really gets inside your head and you sort of watch this first episode and go, oh, okay, there's something happening here. A child's been abducted. What's going on here? And then by the end of the episode, you're like, what is time? When is this happening? How are these people connected? Why is she doing that? You're in from the get-go mm. and it's just riveting. It's great to see Australian drama on screens always. It costs a lot of money. There's not always a lot of investment in it. And I think with streaming services that we've talked about before, they're doing a lot better at actually investing in local productions. Um, but this is just great. I've been eagerly awaiting, just like Deadlock, when a new episode drops. So The Clearing, if you're a big fan of cults like I am, it's definitely worth checking out if you've got Disney+. Plus. I'm loving it. Terrifying. And Miranda Otto can act. Oh, just a little bit. <laughs> just a little bit. Fabulous. Also, good, good wigs. Oh, really? I know you love a good wig. I love a good wig. Yeah, lots of good wigs in this show. Oh, yeah, okay. Good, good wig work. Good late 70s, early 80s wig work. Oh, yeah, the oh, fashion is right amazing. <laughs> That's in my wheelhouse. Also the architecture, all those kind of brick and wood mm-hmm. sort of modernist houses that at the time were probably like, this is shit, but now we're like, these are the coolest kit things homes. ever. Absolutely, 80s kit homes. Absolutely brilliant. Oh, another big what episode. Absolutely huge. Um, we'll see you again next week with your moon boot. Absolutely. Your moon knee. Moon knee. Moonwalking in here. You're going to moonwalk out? No, I can't bend it straight, so I can't <laughs> moonwalk. Oh, babes. Take care of yourself. Thank you. Love you. Love you too. Bang. Bang on. Bang fam, we want to let you in on a little secret. A podcast that we've loved for a long time that has brand new episodes for you. Yeah, it's called Ladies We Need to Talk and it's hosted by the fierce and fabulous Yumi Steins. Hey, Yumi. Hey, bang ladies. Hey, fashionable listeners. <laughs> hey, Sam. Hey, Miv. <laughs> hey, um, Yumi, what are some of the topics that you'll be looking at in Ladies We Need to Talk this season? They're always really interesting and, and sort of often take us to places that we never thought we'd go. Yeah, this season we've got a pretty uncomfortable topic. It's the rise and rise of the act of choking during sex or what's better known as strangulation. Choking is actually when you get something stuck in your throat like a lolly or something. Strangulation is when pressure is applied from the outside and people are doing this during sex as a sexual act. And on our show we ask, can it ever truly be safe and what's the big appeal of it? So it used to be something that probably, you know, one or two or three percent of people had done. So now to be something that most people have done, that in fact one in three 18 to 24-year-old women have done the last time that they had sex, that's a striking change. Mm. Esther Perel, I'm sure you've heard of. She's a relationships expert and a hero to a lot of our listeners. We get her on, ladies, we need to talk, to talk about intimacy and how we can bring intimacy back into our tired, old, dusty relationships. Intimacy means you know me. I feel known by you. And this I feel known by you makes me feel less alone 
next to you. <laughs> oh, I love it, Steer. But when I listen, I just think I could never make sense of it the way she makes sense of it. She's a genius. Absolute She's genius. In, the intuition she shows around human relationships is truly breathtaking. So what a joy to have her on our podcast. We'll also meet a bunch of women who've had enough of waiting for the right partner and have decided to do the parenting thing by themselves. Yeah, this is happening a lot more. I know a lot of people who have decided to go it alone. Super keen on hearing about that. Exactly. And you can hear all about it by finding Ladies We Need to Talk in your ABC Listen app or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thanks, Sam. Thanks, Miff. Thanks, Yumi. Thanks, Yumi.